Well, good morning. We'll consider this a sound check. Do I sound about right? Am I too loud? I need to talk softly. Well, good news, bad news, and you've heard it already. We've been told we can take our masks up or take our masks off if we're up front leading. It didn't take long for me to get a text message that said, please leave your mask on so that we don't have to see your face. See you at home later, honey. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know she would never say that to me. Uh, but it is good to feel like I can see you and for us to be together in one place. It's a real privilege to get to do this. Uh, it is good to see you gathered. And when we gather, you know we do certain things as the church. We sing. We confess our sins. We praise and offer worship to the living God, the resurrected Jesus. And then we always have time for the teaching and preaching of God's Word. And let me just remind you, especially as we get into the text that we'll consider this morning, that that is what we're doing as a church family right now. We're not coming together to be entertained. We're coming together, each of us, to be under the teaching and preaching of what we believe to be God's holy word that instructs us and corrects us, that points us in the way that God would have us go as, as individuals and as families. And so we are in this series regarding the church, asking ourselves, what does the church look like according to Scripture? And this morning, post-resurrection... We have an encounter with Jesus, a time where he tells his disciples to meet him, and he has a final word with them, what we have come to know called as the Great Commission. So give your attention to Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray that God will bless our understanding of His good word. Lord, we do want to know what it is to be the church. We want to know what it is to be disciples of the Lord Jesus, and we want to know it more and more. And so, Lord, by faith, would you work in our midst this morning? Would you open our eyes to see what King Jesus has done? and to live according to it. And we ask this and we pray it in His name. Amen. So it is that time of year. This is the spring semester, and as we near the end for students, whether high school students, college students, this is the time of year for those who are graduating, and we do have several, that we have, many schools have what is called a baccalaureate, right? A baccalaureate address. Not all schools have this. 
Uh, Erskine College has this, and they do this each year for their seniors and graduating class. And maybe you had that, depending on your background and where you went to school. But the baccalaureate address simply means the last words, the last address. That's what baccalaureate means. And in the Great Commission, according to Matthew, this is a kind of baccalaureate address. Last words, closing words, final words before Jesus would ascend. And so it's very special to get to, to see how Matthew captures and records these words, these last words with the disciples. But each of the Gospels does this differently. Mark records it his way, Luke records it his way, John records it differently. But each of those Gospel writers, and you can go and look at that this afternoon if you wish. Just read the last half chapter of each of those Gospels you'll see that they're all ending on a note that the resurrection is real and that Jesus has changed everything and that he has work for his church to do. John closes his gospel with the words that say this, This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And so each gospel writer gives a, a baccalaureate, final words for the church to know. And this morning we're going to consider Matthew's final words how he records them, and Jesus' encounter with his disciples. And this is that familiar text that's come to be known as the Great Commission. So before we get into it, maybe it would be good to answer the question, what is a commission? What's that word? We use that word, we know that word. Well, the dic dictionary tells us this. A commission is a formal warrant granting the power to perform various acts or duties. It's an authorization or command to act in a prescribed manner or to perform prescribed acts. It's authority to act for, in behalf of, or in the place of another. A task or matter that is entrusted to one as an agent for another. And then lastly, it is a group of persons directed to perform some duty. And so that is why this passage is called the Great Commission. It's the Lord empowering and giving His authority to His disciples to go and minister in all the earth in the power of His name and for His glory. So to get our arms around the Great Commission, which we could say is the job description of the church. We really could say that. These are our marching orders. This is what the Lord has called His church to do in the earth. I've broken it down into three pieces, three simple pieces. We're going to look at the commissioned, those who the Lord commissioned, the commissioner, the one giving the commission, and then the actual commission itself, 
what Jesus has said His people are to do. So first, the commissioned. Those commissioned here in Matthew 28 are the 11 remaining disciples. Now some of you children are like, wait a minute, I thought there were 12 disciples. Well, there were 12 disciples. You may recall that Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus. And then in an act of self-judgment, self-condemnation, he went out and hanged himself, the Scriptures say. So we are down to 11. About 8% of the apostles are gone in the one. And we have 11. And these are the ones that Jesus speaks with authority and giving them authority to act on His behalf. Now, I think it's worth considering those being commissioned in this way. I mean, these must be really good guys, right? These must be the all-star heavy hitters, right? These guys are gifted and talented. These guys, you know, ran faster and jumped higher than the other Galileans on the play field. They scored better in the classroom. No, none of that's true. I'll remind you that these men being commissioned were the ones who had slept on Jesus at Gethsemane. Jesus had asked them to to pray for him in his agony, and they fell asleep. These men being commissioned, one of them denied Jesus three times, Peter. These are the collective group that trembled with fear behind a locked door after Jesus had been arrested and crucified. These are the men, some of which argued with one another about who was the greatest among them in the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew tells us in the verse just before what I read that some were still doubting Jesus. So you put all that together and what do you have in those being commissioned? You have bumbling stooges. I don't think that's too harsh. They are bumbling stooges unworthy of the commission that they're being given. Now, that's not too harsh a thing to say. A, because it is true. And B, because we understand that in our modern day, we're now those bumbling stooges, right? We're the ones who don't get it right. We're the ones who trip over our own two feet. We're the ones who fail to be the church. But those being commissioned then and those commissioned now as the church, can we be honest and say more times than not, we're bumbling stooges. Not only that, they were all Galileans, all from one location, uneducated, unsophisticated, untraveled men that were mostly fishermen, tax collectors, and the like. So let that sink in for a moment. These are the people that Jesus is commissioning to be His A-team. These are going to be the ones to take the news of His resurrection and the power of His resurrection into the earth. You know, the, the Apostle Paul teaches us in Scripture the same lesson. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26-29, to 29, 
a passage that we've heard together uh, in other Sundays and that we'll continue to hear together. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the Christians at Corinth. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Do you see this? The very people, the disciples that Jesus called to himself and now sends out into the world, unimpressive, bumbling stooges. And then Paul reminds us of the same thing to the Corinths, to the Corinthians, that they would not think more of themselves than they should, that they were bumbling stooges. And so if you see yourself as a bumbling stooge who trips and falls in your Christian faith, never has the right word to speak, never has the right manner, driven by fear sometimes, overwhelmed with anxiety, overcome by the issues of life and the world, well, you qualify to be a servant of the Lord because He has always used the weak, the foolish, the insignificant so that we would know our strength is in Him. And it was never in ourselves, never in our education, never in our financial security. None of that. But the kingdom of God is empowered by the commissioner himself. And that is our second point. The commissioner, the resurrected Lord Jesus, the one who had been crucified, the one who was in the tomb, but on the third day rose again to newness of life. Just a reminder that, that that is real. And that is what we believe. And we celebrated it beautifully last week together. That we celebrate a risen, a resurrected Lord. And we don't just do it one Sunday of the year. Every Sunday and every work day of our lives, the resurrection is what underpins us. It's what undergirds us. It's what has redefined everything for the Christian. And so the resurrected Jesus is the commissioner here. He is the one doing the speaking and the charge. Which, by the way, I'm going to quote Sinclair Ferguson at least once, but I commend to you a sermon that I heard of his this week. He opened my eyes to this passage in so many ways. But really what we have here for those uh, who are familiar with the Abrahamic covenant and the pattern of covenant making in Scripture. You remember in the Abrahamic covenant, there was a promise of land and seed and blessing. And you have the same covenantal structure here. That the Lord is giving His disciples land, all the earth. He's giving them seed, the people of the earth. And He's giving them a blessing the promise that He Himself is going with them. And that is the, po the pattern of promise-making that God has always had with His people. He calls and charges His people to do something. He empowers them to do it. And He is with them to the very end. 
And that is what the commissioner will say here. He will say in the preamble to this uh, commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, in our reflection this morning, if, if you pay attention when we have the words of reflection on the screen, we don't read those, but those are for you to read and meditate on. And usually I try to circle back and show how that has something to do with our sermon. And it has everything to do with our sermon this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 7, or excuse me, Daniel chapter 7. I don't know that we can put it back up there, but I can read it. There it is. Oh, it was the call to worship, not the reflection. My mistake. Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. His vision, he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Now you remember Jesus used that language of son of man in reference to himself. This would be when he is identifying with all the promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament, and this is one of those. And it says, coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is echoing this vision of Daniel in chapter 7, and He's attributing it to Himself. The Son of Man has all authority in heaven and on earth. And now the resurrected Jesus, the post-Easter Jesus, He's still referencing Himself with Old Testament language, messianic language, demonstrating that He is the real deal. He has done what He said He would do. And here, He essentially says that He has earned all authority in heaven and on earth by being a new and a better Adam. A second Adam. You remember the first Adam in the garden who failed in his duty to obey. And because of his disobedience, the whole earth was filled with sin and destruction. And now Jesus as a second man, a second Adam has come. And with his perfect obedience, his righteousness, he now undoes the curse of the first Adam and becomes a new and greater Adam thereby earning all authority in heaven and on earth. Everything, the dominion that Adam had and lost, Jesus now regains. He regains. Here's the quote from Sinclair Ferguson. It is a long one, but it is a good one. He says, Understanding the Great Commission is perhaps made easier if we're familiar with our Bibles, and with this translation. All dominion in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This echoes the creation account in Genesis of Adam, who was given dominion of the garden and the earth, but who failed in his obedience to God and was ejected from Eden 
and forfeited his dominion as a result. In this preamble of the Great Commission, Jesus reveals his finished work as the new second Adam who has regained dominion through his perfect keeping of God's Word. And where the first Adam failed, the second Adam has succeeded. What Adam lost, Jesus has regained. And having re-won dominion, he now sends his apostles, his disciples, into the earth on his authority to garden it. And in this way, the Great Commission really could equally be called the Great Announcement. Because that is what Jesus is doing here in those opening words. He is announcing that the curse of Adam has been undone by him. He has announced that all the dominion lost in the garden he has now regained. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is announcing here that he has crushed the head of the serpent. It's a beautiful, complex understanding when you see the layers of promise in the Old Testament, deliverance in the New, and Jesus demonstrating that the curse is now broken, that redemption is real. And we have an Adam now who will never fail us. Oh, he was tempted. He was tried. You remember the beginning of his earthly ministry in the desert when the devil himself came to him and said, bow down and worship me and all dominion will be given to you. And he succeeded as the second Adam. He did not give in to that disobedience. And he said, all worship is to the Lord himself. And so we see Jesus as our second Adam, the faithful Adam that we needed because we were trapped in the dominion of darkness and of sin. And in this way, we have been set free by our commissioner. Dominion, rule has been rightly restored to King Jesus. Now, a word about the actual commission. Our third point. Several things said here, they're all simple, they're all beautiful, they're all true. The first thing he says is to go. To go into all the earth, because he now has dominion over all the earth. Now before you capture what he's saying in this commission, I was reminded that in Matthew 10, these disciples had been commissioned before. You remember this? But it was a restricted commission that reads very differently than the Great Commission. Listen to Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. I think I have that for you there. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. If not, listen carefully. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, do you feel the difference in the commission? Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Go to the Jews only. Because at this point, he had not recaptured dominion of the whole earth. 
Now, in the Great Commission, with his finished work, he says in his own way, it's on. The kingdom has come for people of every tongue, tribe, and nation, every skin color, every person, every body, Jew and Gentile alike. The kingdom and my dominion is now going to reign, and I am going to call a people to myself of every tongue, tribe, and nation. So reading Matthew 10 and then reading the Great Commission in Matthew 28, we see the vastness of this dominion, that Jesus is declaring the earth to be His. And He says, go, go into it, go into the world, and what? Make disciples. Make followers of me. Now, what is the process of discipleship? He gives us two things. And he gives them in an order that I would call your attention to. He says, first baptize and then teach. And I think that order is pretty clear. He says, be marked as belonging to me And for the rest of your life, you're going to be taught and instructed everything that I've commanded. Be marked as a follower. Be marked as a disciple. Be marked with what His work accomplished. And then follow His teaching all the days of your life. And so the church is told to go, to make disciples, baptizing and teaching everything He taught that he might be obeyed in all of his words. And so that's the charge. That's the commission. Is that God's people will be the only ones in the earth who will go, baptize, and teach. But if we were left of our own power as stooges to go do that, what success could we have? We would have none. We would not be up to the task, able for the task, or even interested in the task. But Jesus, in his third point of his commission, says this, And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now this is the promise. This is the blessing that's offered in this covenantal structure. I'm calling you to go and do this, but you're not going alone. I will be with you all the days. I'll be there to empower you, to encourage you, and to give you success, as he defines success. And so this is the Great Commission. And it's how God has always operated with his people. He has always told his people that I'll be with you. You're not alone in this. I'll be very present for you. I will be your help. I will be your strength. He said this to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, at his charge. And God said, I will be with you. Because he was calling Moses to do hard things. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, he said the same thing to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. And now, commissioning these stooges, these disciples, he says the same thing. And surely I will be with you all the days to the very end. I am not going to fail you. I am not leaving you alone. You will do what you're called to do. 
And you'll find success as I give it to you because I am with you. Now the truth is, too often, the great commission for us has been the great omission. We've not had a heart for the nations. We've not had a heart for our neighbors. And so the Great Commission has been the great omission for too much of the Christian church, for too much of our history. But I do want to highlight for you that if this is our job description, if these are our marching orders, if this is who we are to be as a a church family, and your individual families are to be in the earth, and you as individuals are to be in the earth, then let's not let it be the great omission. Let's really this morning feel what it is, know what it is, for the Lord to say, if you are mine, you are commissioned, you are empowered, you are called to be a part of my church that is purposed to see all the nations know the gospel and to know the risen Christ who offers us the gospel. I want to highlight a few things this morning that you might see how as a church family we, we do try to do this. Uh, some of you who have been here for a long time, you know these families, you know these ministries far better than I do. I'm just getting to know of them. But we have 15 missionaries that we support in the world, globally, in missions. Did you know that? 15 different ministries, global ministries. We have ministries we support, missionaries in South Asia, Africa, Japan, Honduras, Bulgaria, Costa Rica, Belize, Mexico, and Canada. And we have several missionaries in some of those locations. In Japan, we have four. South Asia, we have two. The Honduras, we have two. Costa Rica, we have two. And we support one international college ministry. And so GPC, I want you to know, we are really trying to honor the motto of the Presbyterian Church in America. And you know what that motto is? It's that we seek to be faithful to the Scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. Your leadership for these 20 plus years at GPC, they committed themselves to missions. They committed themselves to the Great Commission, to supporting missionaries, to sending missionaries. And it is our call as a church to do that more and more. To even be creative in the way that we can reach the nations. And that's the second thing I'll emphasize. You know, for 18, I guess technically 19 years, it was my joy to work with college students in a ministry called Reformed University Fellowship. That is a strategic effort to honor the Great Commission. To go to the marketplace of ideas on a college campus and to minister to students. And so RUF as a national college ministry is on 147 campuses. That's strategic. That's smart. That's good strategy to fulfill the Great Commission. But not only that, now we have this ministry called RUF International, where we send a campus minister to a campus 
to minister to the international students, knowing that they'll only be in the States for a few years, but if they can be reached and equipped with the Gospel, then they go home to their home country, and the reach of the church is even greater. And now in recent years, there's a new arm of ministry where RUF has hooked arms with MTW, Mission to the World, and we have a ministry called RUF Global. And that is a ministry where we take one of our own campus ministers and we send him somewhere else in the earth to work the college campus in those other countries. And we have eight of those works in the PCA. So altogether, 170 plus ministries that are strategic and intentional trying to honor this great commission. And you may say, well, gosh, you know, that's great that they do that, but I can't go. Well, maybe you can't go. But together we can send. Together we make it possible for all these ministries to exist. And so your church here at GPC for over 20 years has committed itself to the Great Commission, committed itself to supporting and funding missionaries And our prayer is that we might do that more and more. That we would not be so inward looking as to just think about ourselves, our own ministries, our own facilities. But that we would have a heart for the nations. Because Jesus has told us to go, to baptize, and to teach. That He will be with us in everything that we do. We're going to close in song, and we wanted to pick an appropriate hymn that would echo the truth of what we've heard in Scripture this morning. And it's a familiar traditional hymn that you hopefully know. It's How Firm a Foundation. But I want you to listen with the Great Commission in mind and the Lord's promise to empower and equip us in that great task. Listen to the stanza that says this. Fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. That's the promise that Jesus made to his disciples. He is a firm foundation. His words are true. And as a church family, we have put all of our hope in Him and in His Word. And He and He alone can enable us to stand. Let's pray that we'll stand and be faithful in our call. Oh Lord, would it be true that we will be found all the days of our lives standing faithfully on Your Word and seeking to honor the Great Commission. That yes, we would send missionaries far and wide, but that even in Greenwood, we would see our calling to make disciples of young and old, to always have in our mind and in our hearts the people around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, people at the gym, Lord, would you give us eyes to see the earth? And would you give us faith in your confident promise that you're calling a people to yourself 
And we're to bear witness to the greatness of the gospel. Do this, Lord. We ask and we pray that we might be the church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.